How many of you like vegetables? How many of you liked vegetables as a kid? I hated vegetables. My mother's from Oklahoma, and she overcooked everything, and every vegetable I ever ate before I met Tammy was mushy. It was horrible. I just, I just hated vegetables. But there was a rule in, in our house, and that is you cannot have dessert, because my mom has a sweet tooth. She still has a sweet tooth. She sneaks candy if she can, and uh, that's not actually a good thing when you, you have Alzheimer's. But she, she just loves, she has a sweet tooth. But there was one rule in my house, and that was this. If you didn't eat your dinner, you got what? No cookie for you, right? No dessert. No dessert at all. And uh, today, even though we're celebrating that Jesus is alive, that's the dessert. We have to do a little of the vegetables, Right? Because that's the stuff that makes the dessert taste so much sweeter. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Now, last week, we talked about the triumphal entry. It was Palm Sunday and that he came riding on what? A donkey, not a horse. Because if a king rode into the city on a mule or a donkey, it means that he was carrying a message of peace. If he comes on a horse, it's war. You know, Jesus, when he comes back the second time, he's not on a donkey. No, he's on a, he's on a horse. It is war and game over. And he is going to take us all home. Praise God. But we have to start with the why. And the very first one is pretty simple, but here's the first slide. So Heather, if you could throw that up for me. And that is God loves people, and Jesus loves lost people. You know John 3.16. You can quote it, can't you? For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth should what? Have everlasting life. Romans tells us that God did this for us. While we were yet his enemies, he died for us. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Do you know, how many of you are familiar with the, the, the narrative of Jonah? I hate to say it's a story because it's a true event, but Jonah was and is a Jewish prophet that was sent to the Gentile nation. You know why he was sent to a Gentile nation? Because God loves everyone. He wanted everybody to repent. And, and guess what? The city repented and they were saved. Jesus loves lost people too. Jesus said this, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and he said, what must I do, teacher, to inherit eternal life? And scripture says that Jesus looked at this rich young ruler. He had it all. He had good looks. He had money. He had fame. He had everything going for him. And Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell everything you have and come follow me. Says the rich young ruler turned around and walked away. And scripture says, and Jesus loved him, loved him. Even though he wasn't going to force him to follow him, his heart was breaking that somebody was walking away from him. Jesus also this, or, or uh, let's do the next slide. Not only does God love people, Jesus loved people, but Jesus knew his mission. 
that he had to die on a cross. He says this in Luke, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Do you ever... I don't know if you ever ran away. I ran away a few times as a kid, but all I did was run out into the patio and hide under the pool table. And then I waited to see if my family missed me. And after about two hours, nobody missed me. I kind of said, oh, I might as well go back and get a snack. But Jesus has been spending his entire life looking for you. Because he is the one that seeks and saves the lost. Let that just kind of sink into your brain. Jesus is searching for you. He wants your heart. He is seeking after you. And then he goes on and he said, not only does he come to seek and save the lost, that he didn't come to be served. Even though he's the king of kings, the whole of creation is held together by his power and is at his disposal. And yet he says, I did not come to be served, but to what? To serve you and to give my life as a ransom to buy you back from the domain of darkness. And Jesus had to protect his ministry. That's the next one. I think, or maybe not. But we'll just leave it at that. Jesus had to protect his mission because Jesus had to die on a certain day. Remember last week, it had to be the 14th day of Nisan. The Passover lamb had to be slaughtered on that day, on Friday. And that's why he kept his whereabouts secret so that Judas wouldn't betray him early. Go into the city. You will find a donkey there. Go get it. And his disciples obeyed. And not only did he have to die on a certain day, he had to die in a certain way. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Many of you might not know what that reference is. When the Israelites were wandering around in the desert for 40 years... They were kind of getting rebellious towards God. Not like us, right? And God was getting fed up with them. He was going to punish them a little. And these snakes would bite them and they were venomous. And if you didn't do anything about it, you were going to die. And God said, I'll tell you what. Moses, you make a bronze serpent. You stick it up on a pole. Anyone in the camp that gets bit by one of these vipers, all you have to do in faith is look at that serpent and the poison will go out of you. Now, I'm a little more elaborate. All you had to do, and Jesus referenced that, just as Moses had to lift that serpent up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What was he referring to? The cross. The cross. He had four protective strategies, by the way. Sometimes he withdrew when things were getting a little heated. Sometimes he would only talk when he was surrounded in a crowd because the ones that wanted to kill him wouldn't because they were afraid of everybody else. Sometimes Jesus spoke very, very carefully and he used parables so that the religious leaders wouldn't kill him on the wrong day and the wrong way. Jesus had to die on a certain day in order to fulfill prophecy and he had to die in a certain way in order to fulfill prophecy. So the last strategy that Jesus had was he was going to be managing his last week very, very carefully. Now Jesus paid the cost 
to fulfill his mission. How many times did Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane go away from the disciples, fall down on his knees and pray, Lord, let this cup pass from me if it is possible. But not my will be done, but thy will be done. How many times did that happen? Three times. Three times Jesus asked the Father, if there's any way other, is there any other way out of this? Would you let this cup pass before me? Have you ever stopped and said, what was in the cup? That's an honest question, right? What was in the cup? Do you know Jesus had a physical cost? There, there are three costs that Jesus had. One was a physical cost. Uh, it is fascinating to do a study on the, on the crucifixion because what it was, the Romans, oh man, they were cruel. When they put the nail into the hand, it wasn't here, even though sometimes we do it here. They did it here because it severed a nerve that sent pain to the brain. And when they nailed the feet, same thing. Now, they could have done it this way, and they have found people that have died of crucifixion in graves, and they couldn't get the nail out because when they were hammering the nail, the nail hit a knot, and, and, and the nail curved up, so they just left it alone. But once you're on that cross, in order to breathe, you have to push down in order to lift yourself up to expand lungs. So when you're hanging, it's by dead weight. And in order to breathe, you have to go. And when you pull on your arms and you push up with your legs, those nails are sending every pain imaginable to the brain. It's amazing. And that's why, do you remember the thieves? They had to have their legs broken. Why? Because as soon as you broke your legs, you could not push up anymore and you would just asphyxiate yourself. Try to breathe with your lungs like this. You die of shock. You can't get air. So there was a physical cost. Do you remember that right at the beginning of the, of the crucifixion, they offered Jesus wine and myrrh. How many of you remember that? Okay, there's a few of you. It says that he was offered wine and myrrh. That's like being offered today morphine. And Jesus did what with the wine and the myrrh? He refused it. See, he had to pay the cost for his mission. And it would have been nice to just get numbed up and then die on the cross, but no, that wasn't part of God's plan. The second part of the, what his cost was an emotional cost. From the beginning of beginning, before beginning, Jesus and God the Father and the Spirit were one. And this is going to be the first time ever where he is separated from his Father. Separated from his Father. That's an emotional cost. It's one thing to be betrayed. It's another thing to be stripped away from the one that you're so connected to. The third cost is probably the deadliest and the greatest, and that was a spiritual cost. There was a physical cost, there was an emotional cost, but there was a spiritual cost. So what was, what was in that cup? God's wrath against anything and everything that ever was wicked 
or evil or wrong. God's wrath against unrighteousness. And what comes to your mind? Murder, mass murder, sexual abuse, torture, lying, social injustice, false imprisonment. So where is God's wrath against the man who robbed you? It was in that cup. Where's God's wrath on the person that raped you, beat you? It was in that cup. Where was God's wrath on the people that mistreat you because they're prejudiced against you? It was in that cup. Where is God's wrath on the man that took a six-month-old and shook the body to death? It was in that cup. Where's the wrath of God when there are men and women that sell drugs to, to children? That wrath was in that cup. You start to understand what kind of wrath that Jesus had to endure. Where's the wrath of God on, the, on every pedophile that has ever touched a child? It was in that cup. But let's get personal. Where's the wrath of God on every single thing you've ever done? Against God or against righteousness. It was where? In that cup. And that cup was the wrath of God against every sin, every lie, every murder, every foul word, every covetous thought, every cheat of a spouse, every theft. The spiritual cost is beyond measure. And yet here is Jesus, the creator of the world on a cross. You know the three things that the Jews were afraid of? Number one, to be publicly killed like this. It was the greatest shame in the world. No Jew would, nobody would want to die this kind of death. But the second great fear of a Jew was to be naked in public. You know, we see Jesus on the cross. He's always clothed, right? That's not accurate. He was naked. Think about that. He's dying on a cross completely naked. And the last greatest fear of a Jew was not to be, bar- not to be buried. To have the ravens and the birds come. Those are the three greatest fears. Here's the creator of the universe dying on a cross physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now there's an outline a little bit on your bulletin. Jesus is crucified at 9 a.m. That's when they put him on the cross. And around noon, three hours of darkness is going to overtake the land. It's interesting that another passage says that the sun didn't shine. This is a supernatural event that is taking place. And Jesus, it's, it's so interesting that the scripture is so brief. It just says they crucified him with a robber on his right and a robber on his left. 
And it was the third hour, 9 a.m., when they crucified him. And here is the first phrase Jesus utters from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you realize that the cross is all about forgiveness? That's why we, 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 we wear it as jewelry. We, we put it on t-shirts. We put it on the back of our car. Because the cross to us represents what? Forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know, we, we quoted John 3.16. Let me read you John 3.17, the next verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Wow. The next phrase that Jesus utters from the cross is going to come out of John and where it says, Woman, behold your son and behold your mother. Who's he talking about? All the disciples have fled except for John. John, the disciple, is with Jesus' mother. Now, remember, they're cousins. John and Jesus are cousins, so he's standing next to his aunt, his Aunt Mary. Uh, not, not that John, sorry. I'm getting my Johns confused. John the Baptist, I was thinking. This is, this is another John. Sorry about that. Low brain. He had, well, there is some evidence that they were cousins, but not that. So let me digress. He knows he's about to die, and he is the firstborn son, and he is supposed to take care of his mother in her old age, and he knows he's about to leave. So he tells John, John, you are to take care of my mom. And it says, Scripture says, from that day on, John took Mary into his home. Even though she has other kids, John is taking care of Jesus' mom. Kind of shows you the emotion of Jesus at that moment, that he's still thinking about others instead of thinking about what he's going through. Pilate had a notice put on the cross that said, here's Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. The religious leaders came and said, no, he just claimed to be, but he's not. And Pilate said, I wrote what I have written. I ain't changing it. Soldiers crucified Jesus. They took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. Ah, that's how we know he's naked. And this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, said the one to another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing, quoting scripture. And this is what the soldiers did. And sitting down, they watched over him. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, You who are going to destroy the temple can't even save yourself. And then the religious leaders come and mock him. And then to add insult upon insult, the thieves start railing against Jesus. Darkness is starting to come. But suddenly one of the thieves has a different perspective. 
Let me just read to you what happens. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God since we are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he turned to Jesus and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Truly, I say to you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Prompted by faith. Do you you hear the, the criminal's words? I deserve to die, but Jesus, I believe in you. And Jesus said, you're saved. How simple it is and how complicated we can make it. And then it got dark. And there were three hours of darkness. And towards three o'clock, Jesus says this. It's the next phrase he says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now this psalm that he quotes was written a thousand years before Jesus. And 600 years before they even invented crucifixion as a way to die. But if you read Psalm 22, you can see a crucifixion happening. But Jesus felt the pain of separation. Because he uses those words, forsaken. And then he says, I thirst. Again, showing the humanity And then he says, it is finished. Jesus referring to his mission. He's completed it. He's done it. And then the very last phrase he says is, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And with that, Scripture says, he breathed his last and he was dead. But in Acts chapter 2, 50 days after the crucifixion, Peter stands up and he preaches to the people and says, you thought you killed the Son of God, but he's alive. And he says, this Jesus God raised up and we are all witnesses. We've seen him, we've touched him, we've eaten food with him. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves can see and believe. Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus bought you with his body and with his blood and has redeemed you out of darkness. He is changing your sinful nature into a new creation, one who daily chooses to make him both Lord and Christ. In order to prepare your heart for communion, I'm going to push you out of your comfort zone just a little, okay? 
Because when we take communion, we're celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're celebrating the blood. We're celebrating the body. And it has spiritual, emotional, and physical costs connected to it. So I need everybody to stand up. Take everything out of your hands. Heather, you get to do this too. Because there's no slides for this. I'm pushing you out of your comfort zone. I want you to grab fists like you're a boxer. And I want you to repeat these words with me. I confess that my natural posture is to try to make something happen. But I choose a posture. Raise your hands. Change that to this. I choose a posture of surrender over to you, God. Okay, pretty good. Let's do the next one. Fists like this now. In front of you like this. I confess that my natural posture is to take and to keep but I choose a generous posture open your hands freely I have received freely I release okay here's the last one do this I confess my natural posture is to critique, is to spectate. It's to say, it's not my problem, but I choose. Open your arms. But I choose a posture of mission. I am open to the needs of the world. Use me, God. Be seated. The power of the cross doesn't stop with eternal life. The power of the cross, the gospel, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, is that it has the power to transform you. So your natural person gets surrendered to what we talked about, that he is Lord and he is Christ. Let me pray over communion. Father God, with arms raised up, we surrender to you anew and afresh that you are Lord. We're declaring that when we take this bread and this juice that represents the cross and the resurrection. We claim you as our Savior. We are the thief on the cross that deserves death, but in faith we turn to you and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Father, speak to our hearts like only you can. Change us as we choose 
a different posture. In the name of Jesus, we pray.